Hello and welcome to today's live cast. I just saw Walter walk off camera. I was hoping he'd hang out for a minute here, but I hope you're doing well and that your pets are also doing well. Um, the theme of today's live cast is playtesting. The last week we've been doing a lot of playtesting at Stonemaier Games. I've been doing some solo playtesting, not for solo games, but playtesting multiplayer games solo. Um, been doing a lot of proofreading related to some some games. Did a team playtest yesterday, where not not a team game, but the Stonemaier Games team got together for a playtest. And we have a submission playtest this afternoon. My co-founder Alan and I are playtesting or playing a game that was submitted to us that we are intrigued by. So lots of um, prototypes and playing games recently, playing prototypes on the table. We've been having a lot of fun with that. Good morning for all the meeples. Patrick, Tony, thank you for joining me today. Michelle, thanks for popping in to say hi. On December 20th, the last live stream before Christmas, um, I hope you all, if you celebrate Christmas, that you're having a Merry Christmas season. And if you celebrate something else this holiday season, happy holidays to you too. Um, we're, I, I'm uh, having a somewhat mild Christmas this year where Megan's family is coming to St. Louis. Her parents are coming to St. Louis and we're having, I think, a, a fairly low-key, chill Christmas weekend this coming weekend that I'm looking forward to. Hopefully some, some gaming, um, some, some cozy sitting around the Christmas tree type activities. We'll probably go out to eat and make some good food, that sort of thing. What are your plans for the coming weekend if you have any fun holiday or unrelated uh, plans coming up this weekend? Uh, Joshua says he's on winter break today. Chad Ray, Monkey Butler's here, George. Uh, so what is going on other than playtesting? Megan and I finished the Role Player Adventures expansion campaign. So this is a seven-game campaign arc for Role Player Adventures, one of my all-time favorite campaign games. And we've been playing it kind of every night here and there over the last week or so. And we ended up playing two games back to back on Saturday because we wanted to finish it. We wanted to not just to, for the sake of finishing it, but the story gripped us. The consequences that we that we created by our choices in this game gripped us. And we wanted to see what happened. Uh, it's kind of like watching almost a movie series, a seven, uh, seven movie, uh, seven long movie series. And we wanted to get to the end of it. So we we watched or experienced episodes six or seven six and seven on saturday and had a great time doing that um what else happened this weekend uh looks like sam joe is joining us miles is joining us miles is reminding me that uh the survivor finale is tonight i won't be watching it tonight i'll be watching it tomorrow with a few friends including miles and his family i'm really excited about that i love survivor this is season 45 and it's been a fantastic season and really, all of the final five contestants are people that I think have a legitimate claim on the the title of Soul Survivor in 45. I'm, I'm rooting for all of them. There's maybe one who did something that I didn't really like along the way, but it was still a strategic move. And so I'm really excited to see what happens tomorrow night when I watch the Survivor finale. I won't ask for people to share their opinions about it because I don't know. I don't know who watches it, and I don't want to spoil it for anyone who's a few episodes behind and wants to catch up and not see any spoilers in the comments. But I just want to say that I am excited about it. And uh, yeah, I, I can't wait for tomorrow. Kevin says he was able to teach apiary to another group. Thank you, Kevin, for, for sharing apiary with others. I uh, I really appreciate that when, when anyone is willing to teach any of our games. And it's been exciting to see apiary get on a lot of tabletops uh, over the last few months. Uh, Ian says that he played a four-player My Little Side with his board game club over the break. That's awesome, Ian. Um, yeah, that's it. You're really leveling up these kids. My little side, even though it's 
a friendlier version of Scythe. It is still a somewhat complex game for a, a newer gamer to learn. So thank you for teaching that and sharing that with your students. Brian says that he's also excited about role player adventures. And Andrea popped in to say that she is excited to watch the finale as well. Uh, Andrea is going to appear with, uh, with Scott, with Ambassador Scott, on an upcoming Sunday sit-down video about um, games that are easy to teach and learn and play. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to sharing that one. I think uh, this past weekend's video, what was this one about? We talked about, looking at my reminder here, stories. Oh, games with that feature memorable written narrative. It was another one of these chats where I included a few different ambassadors in the chat. We had a great conversation about it. So that was this past Sunday. I had blog posts recently about, um, uh, I had 20 questions from designer Justin Gary. He sent them out to some other designers and he wanted to use these questions for a book that he's working on. I decided, or I asked him for permission and I, to, to uh, answer those questions on the Stillmire Games blog so other people could see those questions in advance. And eventually maybe they'll make their way into Justin's book. And then I did a blog post on Monday about a pre-sale technique for uh, kind of garnering interest in a Kickstarter campaign or a crowdfunding campaign that you're working on. And also uh, uh, increasing your conversion rate, basically. So the, the idea, you can see the blog post for the full details, but the idea is before the campaign, maybe a few months before you plan to launch your campaign, sell an add-on that will be included in the campaign that people can add on during the campaign for a cost, sell it for a pretty big discount, a, a huge discount in advance uh, to kind of help people start to get curious about the product, get informed about what you're trying to release, whether it's a game or something else, and also to give them a little bit of investment into it, even if it's just a dollar, them paying a dollar for, for something. Um, and uh, the the results of, of this, this uh this test, which I, I use kelp, the camp, kelp campaign as an example. For kelp, they use this technique. Leia used this technique and saw around 54% of the people who bought the $1 mini expansion that she offered, they ended up also back in the campaign, which is much higher than normal conversion rates for people just signing up to say, yeah, I'm kind of interested in this campaign. Uh, that you, Usually the rate for converting those people to actual backers is much lower. So it's an interesting technique. Uh, there's been some interesting discussions about whether or not it is not predatory, but a little bit manipulative. But I think people have the choice to do it or not. And as long as you offer the add-on during the campaign itself, it's there for people to to, to look into. And at worst, I think it's something for people to um, to pique their interest about the campaign. Even if they don't buy the $1, or $2, or $5 item, whatever it is in advance, they might look delve a little bit deeper. They might sign up for a launch notification. So I think it's an interesting technique to explore and to iterate on. Blog post about that on Monday. Ian says, Ian, I talked about campaign expansion for role player adventures. Ian is playing Ticket to Ride Legacy, and he is on games nine and 10 of that. We have not played that one. Next up for us is Sleeping Gods, Distant Skies. But I am curious to hear about Ticket to Ride Legacy. Some other people are, are saying they're excited about Survivor as well. I'm, I, I love that there are other gamers who are excited about Survivor. It is, I think, a great, um, a great show. For, for gamers to, to enjoy. Sam says, when solo playtesting play multi-handed, you consciously play with different play styles for each player you are representing. So Sam, I, I don't know if my, I, well, I would say my technique is probably not the best technique. When I'm playtesting solo, it's primarily just to get a feel for how the game is functioning. It isn't to test balance. I, I wanna test balance. I wanna test uh, the fun with other players. But um, so when I play test solo, I am focusing almost entirely on my 
gameplay as a single player. And I usually have one other player that is automated. That is just to represent like, for example, blocking in a worker placement game. Maybe they're picking up some cards so I don't have access to every card. They are pushing along the, uh, the momentum of the game. So I have some sort of timer. Um, yeah, so it's, it's just to have the slight feeling of another player. It really is not to test all the other things that I, I want to play, play test with other players when, when uh, they are available and when the game is ready for me to play test with those other players. Hilda is playing some disc golf tomorrow. As usual, we got in some disc golf this past weekend too and had a great time at uh, Watson. Watson is a good place to play in St. Louis after a heavy rain because we had heavy rain the day before. Hilda is uh, seeing some family who are flying in from out of the country. That's exciting. They haven't seen each other since before the pandemic. That's a long time, Hilda. Hope you have a good time with your family. Patrick says his dad has been in the hospital. I'm sorry to hear that, Patrick. Um, but he's coming home today. That's good. And I hope he continues to get better over the holiday. Thank you for sharing that. Corey from Blue Falcon Board Gaming is playtesting this second design with the theme of today being playtesting. And he says it's a two-player only game. That's exciting. Spent the two last night, last two nights playing solo, trying new ideas to to learn they don't work. Yeah, that is uh, that's the playtesting process, isn't it? Um, but I'm glad you're getting it to the table, Corey. That's that's great. I actually do have a, a question today. That's actually right along this topic here. Not exactly about playtesting, but I have a video that I want to film at some point in the future about games that uh, that need multiple plays to shine. So in general. I think it is pretty smart, or at least I, I, as a publisher and a, as a designer, I try to design games that where you can have a good experience the first time you play. Maybe you can't fully develop a strategy the first time you play. Maybe you won't win the first time you play, but you can have a good, satisfying time the first time you play. But I do think there are some games, some wonderful games, that don't really shine the first time they play, and they really need that second play. They deserve that second play to really shine. So. I'm curious if you have encountered any games like that. If you can think of any games uh, for a video that I might film in the in the near future, where you played, say you played it once, and uh, for whatever reason the game didn't really shine for you in that first play, but then you return to it for a second play and realize, oh, this is the type of game where I needed to play it multiple times to really appreciate it and really enjoy it. Let me know if you can think of any any examples in the comments from your experience. Ray says that he taught his family how to play hearts. I, I, I need to play hearts. I haven't played hearts in forever. He said a friend gave him so clover. So clover, great holiday gift. And wingspan. Just got wingspan. I hope you have fun with that, Ray. Thanks for joining the wingspan universe. Um, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Ray said that he tried to add the vision-friendly cards, but the warehouse already had his order and was already processing the order. Yeah, that's... Sometimes we can modify orders on the fly, but sometimes if they're already in the shipping process, it is, uh, it's not possible for us to, to add things to them. Uh, my friend Pete is here. He says he's popping in during his, his plan period. He says his group played Santa's workshop last night and was really impressed with the design and the thematic integration it was perfect for the holiday season. He's excited to play the basic side because he says, I think the way Elf Creek essentially gave us two games in one box is super cool. Pete, I am loving Santa's Workshop too. I only have one play so far, but I received my copy in the mail yesterday. I'm pointing at my shelf of opportunity over here. I've played the more advanced side that has a little bit of engine building, has a greater variety of actions. But the standard side is one that I'm actually really eager, eager to play too 
because it has a ton of positive player interaction on it. It has a bunch of actions instead of just one on the other side where, uh, and Pete knows this, so I'm, I'm explaining this to people who don't know, where if I place a worker and someone else places a worker on that same action later, they get a more powerful version of that action, but I get a point because my worker is there kind of helping out. And then those actions have four different spaces. So if I get that first worker in there, even though I'm getting the least powerful version of that action, I might be getting three additional points if other people use that action over the course of that round. It's a really clever mechanism. It feels really good, really good positive player interaction. And uh, the whole look of the game is is beautiful. Um, I'm glad you had a good time with Pete. And I, uh, I have it for game night tonight, maybe if we want to play it tonight. Chad says that he just unboxed his copies of Euphoria and Ignorance is Bliss, and he says he, they look amazing. Thank you, Chad, for getting uh, Euphoria and Ignorance is Bliss, the latest reprint of um, one of our first games and uh, an expansion to it. Chad says, any suggestions for a first play? So, Chad, one question. Uh, well, I don't have any overall suggestions. I, I would say uh, watch my video about how to teach because it is it can be a slightly difficult game to teach because there are some interconnected actions. But a lot of them are somewhat repeated on the board. Uh, so just focus on one section of the board, teach that section of the board, and then say, oh, look, okay, th these other two sections of the board are essentially the same, just with slightly different resources or commodities. Um, the other thing I'd recommend, if you are curious about adding parts of the expansion to the game, I'd recommend using the side of the board that has the, uh, the rule where if you have doubles at the beginning of your turn, doubles or triples, whatever you may have, dice that show the same face, that you can only place more than one die if you pay a morale, one morale per, per die, per extra die that you place. I think that's a good rule that we added in the expansion. And also the expansion concept of the artifact market, I think is a pretty good element to just add to the, the core game. It doesn't add complexity and it lets you see more artifact cards. So those are the two elements from the expansion that I would suggest adding even on your first play without adding any complexity. Monkey Butler Lab says, when your passion is also your job, it can be difficult for others to see you beyond one dimensional. Have you ever been in a social situation where people have asked you to turn it off? Hmm. I don't think so. Um, it, that might just be my personality type uh, where I, I don't I, I, I try my best. I don't always achieve, but I try to be really aware of how my behavior is affecting people around me and how other people's behavior are affecting other people around me. Um, and so uh, I'm not saying that's not what you're doing, but I, I just try to be really aware of that. Um, so I can't think of a situation necessarily where that has happened, uh, spe specifically in regards to my job in particular, uh, where I try to gauge if people are actually interested. Like if I'm going to talk about games, I try to gauge other people's interest in whether or not they want to be talking about games, or if they do want to talk about games, how they want to be talking about them. And in general, also in social, social situations, I like to ask more questions than I like to talk. So I'm kind of putting the focus on other people. I think that's an introverted thing. Uh, but yeah, interesting question. I, I wonder if anyone else can relate to that. Um, for all the people says, I know you like being a play a player when playtesting. Yeah, opposed to me being a, an observer while playtesting. Uh, I can't, the, uh, for all the people says, I can't be a player in that situation since it is a clue to answer game and I know them all. So notes, notes and no, notes, notes and more notes. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I do have a game that I'm working on where I have a lot. I, I, I have a lot of information about what the game is. Um, but 
it is a cooperative game. And so I, I tend to let other people lead in that instance where I'm just there to be a, a player, be a body at the table, but I am not necessarily contributing as much as I normally would if I didn't have all that information. But I can see what you're saying. If it's a clue to answer game where the whole game, the entire game is information, then um, it could be difficult to, to, uh, to be a player in that situation. Joe says that he enjoyed my recent Fox Experiment video. Uh, it's not a game about, or it is a, it's a video about the game, the Fox Experiment, not a game about Fox Experimentation. Joe says his daughter was watching it with me this morning with me this morning and is excited to domesticate some foxes. Yeah, it is it is a really charming game, and especially in the way that you are creating these foxes, naming them, and then putting them in the public supply for any player to draft in the next generation of foxes, the next round of the game. Really neat game from Elizabeth Hargrave. Miles is commenting on disc golf this past weekend. He's still recovering from a lot of direct tree hits. Yeah, Miles had one difficult basket. Um where he, he managed to find every tree at, at Watson Trail Park. It was a difficult one, especially because Miles was playing really, really well before that and continued to play well after that as well. Nate says, have I tried any of the exit event calendars? I have never tried one, no. Nate says, I'm doing my first one this year with my wife and we're having the best time. It's typically less than five minutes per day a puzzle and some are much quicker. That is really neat. The little bite-sized puzzles to do once a day. I honestly think Megan would really, really enjoy that. So I need to remember to do that next holiday season. I'll have to find a way to sign up for a notification or something like that. Um, this did remind me of with advent calendars, reminded me of today's chocolate of the day. I was given a very generous chocolate gift from Fulfill Right, a fulfillment center that um, that is very generous to our our annual charity auction. They match the the top a bid in this auction, and they're a great fulfillment center. And they generously sent me this beautiful package of chocolate. Uh, with like chocolate covered marshmallows, chocolate truffles, things like that. Uh, I really appreciate that. So thank you for Phil Wright for doing that. And uh, I don't know if they do that for their clients in general, but it might be something to keep in mind if you're thinking about a fulfillment center. You might get some free chocolates and some free, really, really high quality, delicious chocolates. Casey says, and I'll, I'll uh, piggyback on top of that and say, what is your favorite seasonal holiday treat or dessert? Is there is there something that you were looking forward to eating or that you have been eating this holiday season? When I was a kid, it was uh, peppermint patties. I associated them with the holidays. I love peppermint patties. I ended up getting, over the years, uh, peppermint and mint gives me headaches. And so I, I can't eat mint anymore. But, uh, but I used to really, really love peppermint patties. You know, I'm asking questions. I'm not even showing them on the screen. I'm sorry about that. I'll start to do that. Casey says, have you watched The Devil's Plan on Netflix? It's a Korean game show where players compete in social deduction and board and card games. Casey, I've had this recommended multiple times. Meg and I almost started watching it last night, but we ended up deciding to go with uh, the fourth season of For All Mankind, uh, a, a drama that we really enjoy. But The Devil's Plan is definitely on the list, and I'm glad you mentioned it because I'm hoping to uh, that, that it might be the next show we watch after For All Mankind. Andrew says, I've been thinking about starting the Wheel of Time novel series. I know Sanderson finished that series, was wondering if you've read it and about your non-spoiler thoughts. So Andrew, my very quick impressions of the Wheel of Time series, because it was one that I, I didn't read growing up. I uh, have heard it recommended many times, including on a YouTube channel uh, about books that I that I really enjoy. Um, I forget the Daniel, Daniel somebody YouTube channel. Uh, he loves the Wheel of Time. And so I, I trusted his, his advice. I gave it a shot. 
and I enjoyed it to a certain extent. Also, I've, I've watched the first two um, seasons of the show. I enjoyed the series to a certain extent. The first book felt very much like the first book of Lord of the Rings. The next few books deviated from it in some some pretty big ways. Um, but I found okay, so this and this really isn't a criticism of the entire. Well, in, in some ways it might be, but I I found by book six, I think book six was the one where I found myself skimming. I I I wanted it to move forward, and it felt like it was moving forward very very slowly. And so what I ended up doing is I read books one through five. Um, plus six. I think I, I read six, but I skimmed six. And then I read summaries for all the remaining books except for the final book. And then I read the final book. I think Sanderson wrote the final three books, um, but I skipped to the final one. And honestly, I felt like that was a good experience for the for the books. Um, I think book five. Uh, yeah, I, I'm glad I, I probably wouldn't have read book six. I probably my recommendation would have been to read through book five. Uh, read summaries of the next books and then skip to the final book. I'm sure Wheel of Time's fans will disagree with that. But as someone who has a lot of different things I want to read, a lot of different series, uh, that was a way for me to get the experience that I wanted from the series. And so that's an option. If you find yourself feeling like it is a slog at a certain point, know that those summaries are out there, but also know that the book, the final book is definitely worth reading. And I'm guessing that other people might say that books, the final three books might be worth reading. Those are the ones that Sanderson wrote. But even then, there's a lot of stuff that happens in those three books, whereas the final book, everything culminates in that final book in, in, in a really satisfying way. Let me know what, if others have thoughts about The Wheel of Time as well. Um, director Dan popped in to say hi. Uh, he is giving us happy Christmas in, in Welsh. And we play lots of Expeditions and Red Rising. I hope you have fun with those games over the holidays, Dan. Thank you for playing them. My other question of the day. So I had the question today about games that you found that need multiple plays to really shine. The other question of the day I have today is about installment payments. Uh, have you ever bought something? Um, and this is an option that crowdfunding platform GameFound now offers. Have you ever bought something but paid in installments? So instead of paying the full $100 up front, you paid in over the course of four months, $25 per month. Let me know your thoughts on that. Um, I'm going to plan a blog post about this. It is not something that I've ever used, but I understand that people have different budgets and different priorities that people, other people might use it. Um, the my my thinking of, about it, or one way that I have thought about it, and one reason that we haven't implemented it still in our games is that I generally I, this this statement comes with a lot of uh, caveats in a way, but I, I'll just say it and put it out there. I don't want to ask people to buy something that they can't afford, and installment payments, in a way, to me, might indicate that uh, you can't afford something right now. And I don't, I don't want to be predatory in any way, even accidentally. Um, however, at the same time, what I've realized more recently is that credit cards in general are that concept. Some, some people use credit cards as a way of paying for something now that they can't afford right now, but they can afford in the future. And so installment payments are a little bit akin to credit cards in that way from a general wide angle view. I'm curious about your thoughts on them. If you've ever used them, if you think either of those perspectives is, is valid, um, and if, if you think it's worth us considering adding installment payments or stretch payments on our web store. 
Okay, here we go. Some answers about games that take multiple plays to shine. Brian mentioned some heavier Uwe Rosenberg's like Uwe Rosenberg games like A Feast for Odin, Fields of Arl, and Agricola. I could definitely, yeah, Feast for Odin is really daunting the first time you play. As are those other games, too. Especially since, oh yeah, Agricola is an example because in Agricola, you often don't draft cards the first time you play, but you might draft them on subsequent plays. Let me make a note about those. Where's my little note chart here here we go yeah so i'll mention uh feast for odin i'm going to mention terraforming mars there is a game that you don't necessarily draft the first time you play but subsequent times you probably will agricola fields of arl thank you brian for those recommendations pete says root he says that it certainly requires uh, four to five plays to really show its potential. He says, however, I think the first play is still fun because of the sense of discovery and trying out and experiencing the asymmetry. I can see both sides of that, Pete. I, I, I can see the first play of Root being fun, I think, especially due to the detailed player aids. Um, but it, it does uh, reveal more every time you play it. Co everything says that evolution the beginning was a game like that. I haven't I played evolution, but not evolution the beginning specifically. So I'll make a note of that one. Uh, Nate says Barrage and Terra Mystica were ones that fit into this category for him. I'm taking notes about this for the video that I that I will film on the subject in the near future. Uh, Chad says, uh, kind of a separate topic here, I backed the $65 version of Nemesis Redemption. It was nice to see such an affordable version with standees. Will the success push other publishers, publishers to make an affordable version of crowdfunding games? I I think it's a smart strategy. Um, I'm guessing on that campaign that more people bought the non-standee version because they like the, the beautiful miniatures. But I like the option. It's a way to get people into the game. And if you really fall in love with the game, thanks to getting your foot in the door with a $65 price point, you could add the minis later if the publisher offers it. So I hope I hope we see more like that. I think we have seen it on at least Kickstarter for a long time, having a standard version of the game, which is the one that I usually back, and then a deluxe version of the game that is often $20 to $30 more expensive. Oh, Kevin says he has a fun uh, little game that he plays with his Survivor fan friends. He says, we'll draft players for our team before the season premieres, assign points for various events in the show. Oh, that's really cool, Kevin. I love that. I might need to try that sometime if you uh, are open to sharing how you do it, how you assign points. Oh, this is cool. This came up the other day on, uh, someone asked, why isn't there like a, a survival a survivor obstacle course I can play? But Johnny says there is. Have I heard of the survival challenge? It's a five-day survivor replica. Oh, it's a five-day commitment. Wow. Macomb, they've finished eight seasons, and it looks like a wild, fun time. That's really cool. I have not heard of that, Johnny. So it, lo it looks like it is something that you that you sign up for. That is, uh, that's It's not something that anyone can just go and try and, get, and do. Um, that's really cool. You know, I haven't heard of that. What um, where do you watch it? Is it on is it on a, a channel, YouTube? Let me know where you find that, Johnny. Oh wow, I'm way behind on comments. I'll try to I'll try to speed through some of these real quick. Uh Tanner says games that take a second play. You felt that with Tapestry. Totally fine to include Stonemeyer games on that. And Tapestry, I, I can definitely see why Tapestry can benefit from multiple plays. 
hopefully you still had a satisfying time building your sieve the first time you played. That's the goal of Tapestry, but I can definitely see it thriving on multiple plays. Luke says he feels this way about our recent game, Apiary. I can definitely see that. Yeah, so some of these, I think, are games where um, you, after you play it one time, you see things that you would have done differently, that you want to do differently, that you want to try differently, which, um, I don't know, it does fit into this category. I also think that's a category on its own of, of games where you delve deeper into the strategy that, uh, on subsequent plays, but it does have, definitely has some overlap with this, this topic as well. Chad says, I felt like Heat needed more than one game. Yes. Heat is one where I played twice on the same weekend, and I'm glad I did, because the first play I thought was fine. The second play I thought was really, really cool, uh, because you have to. there's a lot of timing elements as to when you play certain cards in Heat, and you may not just get it the first time you play as I, as I did. But the second play I did. Sam says that Dune, Imperium, and Spirit Island are games that do this for him. Taking notes about those. I fell in love with Dune Imperium the first time I played. I, I didn't really need a second play for that, but Spirit Island, I can definitely see one. Trishul mentions Pendulum as one. A couple different Stonemaier games on this list. Matt says that the group didn't like Scythe at first. And then things clicked and they fell in love with it the second time they play. Another Stonemeyer game for the list. Um, let's see. Carlos has a question. Let's see if I can post it. Uh, so Carlos has some questions about a game that I haven't really delved into yet. And so, Carlos, I appreciate your curiosity. I look forward to talking about the game in the future, but not ready to talk about it quite yet. Andrew felt it with Euphoria. Euphoria, I think, is... Is, is a tough one to, to get into the first time you play because of all the interconnected actions. It can just feel like resource gathering until you see what you're building towards and how you're using those resources. Todd has a question about a statement made by the side digital developers um, where they talked about what, that they haven't released uh, uh, any expansions on Steam yet. I appreciate them releasing that statement as well, Todd. And one of the key phrases in that statement, basically the statement said that they... Uh, they don't see a way in the foreseeable near future that they can release expansion content because they had to completely rewrite the code for the entire game for it to work properly. And now they just don't have the resources to add the expansions or add any elements of expansions. Um, I think I think money might be a little tight for this for this developer. Uh, to help out, we have decreased our royalty for this developer. So they are paying us a very, very small royalty at this point to give them more finances to maybe make this a possibility. And there's a development that I can't talk about yet that will probably help their cash flow as well um, to increase the, the chances that they'll add expansions uh, in the future. So it isn't uh, it isn't a permanent stop and they are still supporting the game. They're just not planning to add anything in the foreseeable future. But I think that has the potential of changing in the future. Nancy Jane says that today is games day. Happy game day. I didn't realize that. Happy game day to you too. Let's see. Uh, Trishul says that he's... The 300 points, I wouldn't say 300 points is the lower limit, uh, but Trishul, you're right. It is. 300 points is a very good score in Tapestry. I rarely hit 300 points myself when I'm playing Tapestry. Todd also recommends the advent calendar, the exit advent calendar specifically. 
Susanna's mentioning, so people are mentioning, oh, I was wondering why people are just shouting food out. It's because I asked about food. Dave says eggnog. Luke says yams with marshmallows. My coworker Susanna says a Yule log, a Swiss roll chocolate cake with beautiful meringue mushrooms. Two separate dishes, I'm assuming, Susanna. And that sounds, or maybe not. No, not. Okay, I see. They're meringue mushrooms that go on the on the log. They're not meringue, uh, not mushroom flavored meringues, mushroom shaped meringues. That does sound really delicious. I ordered, there's a wonderful bakery in St. Louis, a lot of wonderful bakeries, but one of the ones that I love is called the Whisk. And Whisk has these prefabricated, um, freshly made, freshly, freshly baked, but pre-assembled uh, uh, kits of a variety of holiday cookies. And so I, I got some of those cookies yesterday. I'm going to pick that up on Friday. Um, but if you are in St. Louis and you're looking for some holiday cookies and you don't want to actually bake them yourself, I, I recommend Whisk. They make some really, really good holiday treats. Chad says pumpkin spice. Michelle says cinnamon rolls. Uh, Christopher's excited about the Survivor finale. Christopher says, uh, I know you couldn't because of running Stillmeyer, but would you ever want to be on the show? Uh, actually, Chris, Christopher, the, the main reason that I, I don't think I could ever be on Survivor is that I get migraine headaches if I don't sleep or eat on a regular basis. And Survivor is all about not sleeping or eating on a regular basis. So I think I would get a terrible migraine headache very early on in the show and be fairly useless and be in a lot of pain too. So I will just enjoy Survivor from my couch and talk about what I would have done if I was on the show. Um, but I, I don't think I, I could I could ever even really consider being on the show. But I would love to see someone from the game industry, the game community be on the show at some point. A game designer, a publisher, an artist, anyone from the game industry would be amazing to watch on the show in the future. Mark says, with game with more games played during our game nights, I noticed that some players tend to play two games at once to meet recommended max player counts. That's interesting, Mark. People playing two games simultaneously. What are my thoughts on that instance? I think it is difficult to do. I tried it a few months ago with Star Wars, the deck building game, but I was also teaching the game. So I wasn't just playing, I was also teaching. I think it's tough to divide your attention that way and, and really wrap yourself in the magic circle of one game if you're playing two games at the same time. But I applaud anyone who's able to do that. Jason says that his kids are really enjoying My Little Side, and he asked if, we'll, if we're considering any other Stillmeyer games for My Little Versions. We aren't currently, we don't currently have anything like that in the works, Jason, but we are taking into account that, uh, especially for some of our bigger brands like Side, that there are people who might want a heavier version of it. There are also people who might want a lighter version of it. So we are considering that for some of our other brands as well. Yeah. But not necessarily the My Little uh, take on it. Tyler has a book recommendation called the Debt Collection series. He says soul fraud. It would be interesting. Tyler, thank you for this recommendation. I will make a note of it. So the debt debt collection by Andrew Givler. Here we go. Thank you for this recommendation. Soul fraud, book one in this series. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for the recommendation. I am still reading book two in the Fourth Wing series, a book called Iron Flame. And after that, I have two books from Brendan Sanderson to read. One, the final book in his uh, Skyward series. And then he released a surprise book yesterday as part of the Year of Sanderson. Just a little short read. So I'm excited to read that too. That might be a, a one-night read, that little book that he released. Hilda says she associates the holidays with uh, Filoas, they're Spanish crepes. She 
she says her dad made them all the time and they bring me back to her childhood when she makes them now. Those sound delicious. I, I think I may have had a version of that at some point, Hilda, but I, I need to find a way to, to try the real thing in the future at some point. Another book recommendation, Homo Deus, A Brief History of Tomorrow. And they're working on a design, uh, a board game about it. That's pretty cool. cool. A Brief History of Tomorrow. Let's, let's uh, look that up. I read on my Kindle. So when I get these book recommendations, I just send myself a little sample so I can check out the book itself. And here we go. It's also on Kindle. Cool. Yeah, thank you for that recommendation. recommendation. DD is looking for some big, soft, decorated sugar cookies and some sweet and salty chocolate, chocolate bark. Chocolate bark is quite good. Okay, so people are talking about installment payments now. One of my other questions for today. Uh, Chad says that he never does installment payments. I like to know something that is paid for in full. And I, yeah, I think I'm not, I wasn't raised in the Midwest, um, but part of my thinking too is I, even when like a, a, a freelancer offers us the option to pay something up front or on the back end, like half and half, I'd rather just pay for everything up front if we can, if it's someone that I trust to actually finish the job or, or if I trust them to refund me if they don't finish the job. So I, I, it's usually just easier to pay something once. It takes more time to pay something twice. But in the stomp, the installment payments, I think it's automatic. So I don't know if it actually takes more time. For all the meeple says, I believe it's a good idea for games that will take a long time to receive. That's interesting. That way I can use my money for games now and still get that Kickstarter game. That's interesting. Um, <clears throat> that doesn't really apply to Stillmire games in the vast majority of cases. But I see what you're saying. For, for games that take a while to receive. Yeah, I, that's a great note. I'm going to take notes about this topic too here. Um, good. And that's, it, I guess in some ways that's seen as respectful to the backers where you're not asking for as much money up front for something that won't ship for a year in the future. That won't ship for a long time. Yeah, good point there. Uh, Corey from Blue Falcon says, he's never done it with board games, but he loves uh, PayPal, pay in for and affirm. He said it with clothes, workout equipment, electronics, truck upgrades. So Corey has used it and he has said he's liked it. Um, someone says, uh, user used installment payments for Elder Scrolls by Chip Theory in a washing machine as well. I think the cost of your games and their availability in retail make a payment, payment plan unnecessary. That's true. I, that's true. They, they are available in retail. At the same time, some of our games do cost over $100. The Ironclad version of Expeditions is over $100. Tapestry is a $100 game. Scythe is clo close to $100. So that is a, a, a decent amount of money that, to spend on one game. Joshua, we were talking about the other question of the day was about games that deserve multiple plays to really shine. And Joshua says that A Feast for Odin has some more advanced decks that you use on subsequent plays. I had forgotten about that. James says, I don't buy anything I can't pay off at the end of the month. I think you should only add the pay my installments option if you feel 100% comfortable with it. And yeah, that is for James. Every now and then people ask me for advice on how to use credit cards. And my my advice is it, like I use credit cards because I like to get the, the dividend payments, um, but I pay them off in full at the end of the month. Um, I, I don't like to buy something that I can't afford to pay off when that bill comes on, the, when, when the first bill for it comes around for credit cards. 
Carol says, I avoid installments except for big ticket items, but I could see a time in my life where it would have been a nice option for budgeting. Yeah, different people at different stages of their life. I appreciate you saying that, Carol. Jethro chimes in with Dwellings of Eldervale as a game that needed multiple plays to shine. Um, taking notes on multiple topics now, a multiple list on Trello, the list-making app that I, that I use here. So I want to factor in the um, how more the total expense matters for the viability of an installment payment. A Dwellings of Eldervale as a game that needed multiple plays. Dwellings of Eldervale. Been a little while since I played that one. James says, I don't think some of our games are that expensive. Do you need an installment plan? We don't need one. No, we, we don't need one. It's just something that we're offering or that we're considering offering if it would be helpful to a number of customers. Um, and also not predatory in any way. Here we go. Monkey, Monkey Butler says, as someone who has used credit and still does at times to not miss an opportunity, I would highly recommend never buying something that isn't life critical on any form of borrowing. I agree with that. Yeah. Good, good credit device there. Miles mentions the game Feudum taking a couple of plays with the same people to really shine. I can definitely see that with Feudum. There's a lot going on in Feudum. <clears throat> Thank you, Miles, for sharing that. Um, oh, that's a good point for Monkey Butler. If something is really that good, it'll be there later when you have the funds. I wouldn't say that's a universal truth, but... I would say it often applies to things. If something is really good, if people really like something, then they'll probably make more of it. And if a company chooses not to make more of something that people want, just because uh, for reasons, you know, maybe they, they decided to use the exclusive label at some point, which is their right to do and their probably obligation to follow up on that and keep it exclusive if they say that. But I think this is a testament to why, um, why I, I don't advocate for using crowdfunding exclusives because it means if you make something really awesome you put your time and effort into making something awesome and then you can't sell it to people later even though people want it that's really sad to me that that you you can't include people because you put on that exclusive label early on dave says he uses installments for more expensive items and if there's zero percent interest yeah only for zero percent interest i'll make a note about that as well Yeah, 0% only for 0% interest. Mark says, it might be a good thing to consider since the economic factors for each country are different. And with that option, the buyer will not feel, feel fear of missing out when a new game is announced. That's true. You're right. Um, yeah, you're right. Economic factors are definitely different for different and different uh, different countries. Great point, Mark. Danny says that you need to play Anachrony more than once. Ironically, a game that I've only played once so far. Uh, although I used the time travel in the first game, Danny. Danny says the first place you don't use the time travel, but I definitely I used the first play because that was that was why I wanted to play Anachrony. Julie says, I can see installments making sense for something like a major home repair or project, but not for games, for Julie at least. As much as I love games, no one game is a necessity. So delineating between uh, wants and needs. Wants versus needs. 
Corey from Blue Factor says, have you ever considered applying for a game show? Squid Game Challenge Season 2 is taking applications. We haven't watched it. We actually are almost started watching Season 1. That was on our list of, game, of shows to consider yesterday. We haven't watched Season 1 of the Squid Game Challenge yet. Um, Corey, I think any show would take too much of my time. And I don't really like being in front of crowds of people. Uh, I'm okay with this sort of interaction, but I, yeah, I, I don't like being in front of crowds of people. Um, I guess competitions are a little bit different. But I was actually reached out to recently by a producer of a game show, a contestant style show, a challenge show that doesn't exist yet. There's one that they're working on and they're, they're looking for people in the game industry. Um, and I was flattered by the request, but it was like a multi-week commitment and I don't have multiple weeks to take off from Stomire Games. Or if I do, I'd like to spend that maybe traveling somewhere. So um it, it isn't something I consider. And I, I think there are many more interesting personalities to appear on those shows than my my fairly low-key personality. Anthony says he has done installment payments and he likes them. Some would like the game, but if someone already has to decide between bills, food, rent versus paying for the game, many would choose their bills. Definitely, definitely. So maybe that's a way to for you to still pay your bills, but also have a way to still get a few of the things that you want as well to balance those needs and necessities. Uh, Sean says, I, I recommend the work of Ian M. Blanks, or he recommended them a while ago, the player of games. Let's see, I think I did, well, I don't know if entirely. I, I tried a book in that genre, and I don't know if I tried the player of games, Sean, but I did add it to my list when he mentioned it. I just can't remember. I definitely haven't read... I can't remember at this point, so I don't want to say either way, but I, I did put it on my list when he mentioned it. Thank you for bringing that up again. I have a lot of samples on my Kindle, and I also have a lot of series that like I, I'm already into. And so I would say like 75% of my reading time are reading series that I'm already reading, and then the other 25% are new things. And then I go through like dozens of little samples on my Kindle to see what hooks me. Nancy Jane says Woodcraft would be better on subsequent plays. She was entirely lost the first time she played it. So I need to add Woodcraft. I'm jumping around between two different lists here for topics, but Woodcraft and Anachrony. Woodcraft, Anachrony. Thank you all for these, these questions, these answers, or these answers to these questions. David says, uh, Apiary may require multiple plays, but from a different angle. Instead of too complicated for the first game, it it's approachable, familiar, and the complexity appears later. Yeah, I do love those games that are that are approachable, and yet there's you can see right away there's a lot more to discover, a lot more depth as you understand the game better on subsequent plays. So I can definitely see that. Martin Marlin asks, what's the questions that I've asked? One is, what are games that have shined on multiple plays that maybe fell a little bit flat the first time you played it, but they shined the on multiple plays the next time you played it? And the other question is, um, have you ever used installment payments to pay for something? And what do you think about installment payments in general? For all the people says, I'm having a hard time finding play testers. Any suggestions? One overall suggestion is to offer to trade, uh, offer yourself as a play tester if someone else is willing to play test for you. Um, if you're looking for a local play test, I recommend uh, Meetup. And I also recommend looking at the uh, the section on our website about uh, how to design a tabletop game because there are lots of different resources there about finding playtesters. I think there are like four or five links there about the about that topic. 
DD says installments can be nice for small things like games, especially for folks that have fixed incomes. So the idea is uh, not necessarily choosing between wants versus needs, but to pay for your needs and also have a little bit of wiggle room for those wants, which I can definitely see that. Joe says that Lost Ruins of Arnak was this for me. I also think about Challengers, which has a sur surprising amount of depth, but at first, many of those play nuances were missed. You know, I like both of those picks, and I would add Everdell for me there. Um, both Everdell and Lost Ruins of Arnak, they are games that require really good efficiency of eking out one more turn, including Tapestry. Someone mentioned Tapestry earlier. And I think those games are a little bit tough the first time you play because you may not realize that that is such a, an important part of the game, that efficiency. You also mentioned Challengers. Yeah, I can definitely see that in Challengers. Uh, Mark says, for him, Wayfarers of the South Tigris. He says it felt heavier than it than it should, or that maybe that it really is. And then Terraforming Mars, wanting to make combo moves. His first game was a learning game. Definitely said about both of those games. Wayfarers is a fun one that I played recently. Trishul says, Maglev Metro, second play, also comes to mind. The New York map that is recommended first is more relaxed, but Berlin is more stringent and hence brings the game the full game to action. This is an interesting example here of games that have... Um, so I guess it was mentioned a little bit earlier with uh, with uh, Feast for Odin that there are sometimes beginner variants for games or like starting factions like an apiary. And once you play them, you're like, okay, these these worked, but I want to try the more complex things as well. So maybe uh, games with A, B sides for complexity. I like that. James mentions the White Castle, which I've yet to play yet. I'm curious about it. I haven't played it. He says, in my first play, I didn't understand the value of moving up the Heron track. So he underestimated a part of the game that maybe didn't quite get, but the second play, he was able to fully realize that. Yeah, he says in later plays, the Heron track can be the winning difference. I was also asking, people were asking about questions that I asked in today's livecast. I also asked about what holiday treats are you enjoying or looking forward to over the holiday, over these this holiday month? George is excited to play Euphoria and Expeditions on Christmas or during his Christmas gatherings. Have you had fun with those, George? And Tim says about installments, I think the option is super helpful in reality, but could possibly look predatory, as you mentioned, like the seller wants to erase any objections that I might have to buy right now. Yeah, Tim, I, you know, that's it's a tough balance between um, removing those barriers to entry. Uh, it's why we oftentimes offer products for sale when we launch them. That's, you know, you know for the first five days, that's on a discount. That's that's going to disappear in five days. We, we want people to... We want to give people a reason to buy the game instead of waiting for later. Um, but we also want people to feel comfortable buying the game later, too. So it's it's a it's a tough balance to to not um I guess part of it, the the intention matters at least a little bit. And for GameFound, I will say I, I don't think their intention is predatory at all. I think they're trying to make it more accessible for both creators and and backers. Jeff says that he just finished up the amazing race. He wanted to show that one of the challenges this, this season was to build an apiary. Oh, that's cool. An amazing race. I haven't watched that show in a while, but it is a really good show. I've been trying to get Megan into it because Megan loves travel, and I think she would really enjoy the show. Uh, another book recommendation, Anything by Kelly Armstrong. Bidden, bidden to start. Um, anything by Kelly Armstrong. Okay. Oh, anything. I see. Any books by Kelly Armstrong. So Bidden by Kelly Armstrong. Okay. Looks like 
the book cover looks like a sci-fi show because it is a sci-fi show. That's cool. Tim says perception versus reality. I thought you're not that you're doing this. It just turns me off. I'm uh, here. I'll show this coming. Just turns me off when I'm seen on store windows trying to sell me mattresses. Yeah, I think a lot of people are trying to use this uh, this method of installment pay. Um, both as a way, it's it's again it's tough because they're they're trying to serve customers, but they're also trying to get customers. It's it's a it's a tough balance between those two. I think sometimes. Trishul says installment payments seem to make sense for things that can be recycled and upgraded periodically, like newer versions of mobile phones. In fact, you know, in subtle ways, we've seen this with cell phones for a long time, where if you sign up for a new cell phone plan, or if you get it through your, if you buy the phone through your carrier, you can pay for it as part of your monthly payments instead of all at once. Um, I've definitely, I've actually done that. I, I thought I'd never done an installment payment, but years ago, I, I, I did that. I thought that was better. Um, yeah, that's a great example. I'm glad you mentioned that. It might be a, a subtle way that people may have done used installment payments without actually thinking about it. I mentioned that about uh, cell phones. Yeah. And you're right about how with cell phones in particular, that it's a big expense up front and eventually you're going to age out of it. So I guess it's a little bit like leasing a car, which I think is generally seen as something that you shouldn't do in terms of smart financial decisions but maybe there are instances where it does work um so the phone it's it's cyclical in a way although i would say that most of our cell phones can last much longer than we give them credit for Braden is excited that he just finished the book oathbringer or, or finished the uh yeah the book oathbringer from brandon sanderson lots of brandon sanderson love today Let's see. Uh, Braden mentioned, also mentioned Arc Nova as a game that needed a few plays. Yeah, that's one for me that I, I loved the first play. It, the first play did not fall flat for me, um, which I know is highly subjective. But I've, for this category of games, I'm in a way looking for things that games that fell a little flat because maybe for various reasons, maybe they're too daunting the first time, but they really shined the second or third time they played. And Arc Nova, even though it definitely made me want to play it more to discover new new paths, it did not fall flat the first time I played it. Tom's just popping in for a quick Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you too, Tom. Braden says, do games that have a critical point in the start of the game need multiple plays? Oh yeah, that's a, that's a big topic there, Braden. I have a whole video about games that require big decisions at the front of the game, which is something I generally do not recommend because um, it, can, it can be difficult to onboard if you do that. But, uh, but games do that, and some games put a lot of weight in that decision, but still make it uh, relevant. So yeah, that's a good question. Games that have a critical decision at the start of the game uh, and how that can, that can almost ruin your game. I would almost say that's just a game design thing in general to avoid, but, uh, but I like the point. I'm going to make a note of that, where games that have a critical decision early in the game during setup, I think I phrase it as like before you've even started the game, so critical, critical decisions during setup. Yeah. PJ from uh, from a great podcast that actually I've appeared on now. We talked about this last week, but the podcast hadn't gone live. Um, Games Overboard. You can find my chat with them on their podcast. Now, I also appeared with Rado and some, well, not Rado. Rado actually wasn't there. It was on Rado's channel. But I was with Ray and Chris and uh, Ruel. 
for a, a little chat about Stillmeyer games last week. Um, hope you have a good drive, PJ. Question about colors. Oh, let me let me hide this in case that's a spoiler, Bobby. Um, so Bobby, yeah, send me photos of what you're talking about, Bobby. That is a spoiler. It should be. It should be one color. It should not be pink. I should say that, but I don't know if this is a, uh, a color color thing. If it's basically, I don't know if it's your eyes or if it's actually a plastic issue. Um, so send me a photo of what you're seeing uh, at uh, Jamie at Stillmeyer.com, and I'll take a look. Let's see. Rocky says I tried installments for big projects that involved really big all-in pledges. A good example of this was the recent Scarface GameFound project for new expansions, but all prior con content. It's like big all-in pledges. They can get quite expensive. Anthony says he's working on a racing game where the vehicle movement will take a few playthroughs for some to improve their understanding and make better choices. Similar to the heat, which we mentioned earlier, is knowing your game will not shine at first, but be fun and rewarding later, a sign it's too complicated or bad in general. That's a good question. I don't want to make that general statement. It's one of the reasons I want to make this video to show that uh, there are games that really do shine after, after the, the first play. But I think it also raises a good onboarding challenge to do everything you can to make that first experience at least a satisfying one, even if you're not going to win, even if you don't fully understand the strategy, but you can still have a satisfying, fun experience on that first play because if it it might be the only player, it might be the only play you get out of any given player. Um, a lot of people will only play a game once. If it falls flat, they have plenty of other games they can turn to. So I think that first experience is really, really important. Um, Let's see. Uh, PJ mentions the game Beast. Lots of confusion the first time he played, but it really shines now. I'll mention Beast. I think I saw some ambassadors mention Beast as well. Yeah, that's a hidden movement game. Uh, Monkey Butler says, thank you so much for adapting, including YouTube viewers who participate in these videos live, at least. They were YouTube viewers were always welcome, but not live. And I'm glad that StreamYard has found has allowed me to do that. Uh, my, my pleasure. I'm glad it's worked out. Greg says, I find that I need a couple of plays of most games to really get an appreciation for it. I spent most of my first Scholars of the South Tigris play not translating manuscripts. Yeah, I think for complex games, this can be a big challenge where you, you, you're picking different things to focus on, knowing that you can't understand everything yet. Um, but then uh, on, your, on your next play, maybe those things can emerge. Thank you for sharing that, Greg. Uh, Braden mentioned Everdell as well. Melissa mentioned Starship Captains. She played it a few times to appreciate how to maximize her turns and be efficient. Remind her a bit. Remind her a bit of the efficiency elements of Lost Ruins of Arnak. I'll add that to the list. Starship Captains. Yeah, but I've only played that one once as well. Uh, Marlene asked, "How is Walter today?" Am I looking forward to having anything to anything about Christmas this year? Will you still be having a live cast next week? I will be. Yeah, I'll be. I'll be working throughout. Um, sorry, live cast next Wednesday as usual. Walter is doing well. Last night he was playing with something in the middle of the night. We we I think he got uh, he was knocking something off an off a ledge in our bedroom and having fun with that. Woke me up a little bit, but I was too drowsy to like really look look at what he was doing. But he was going crazy and having fun. He seems to choose his play times around six a.m. in the morning. I usually wake up at seven a.m. So it's a interesting hour to listen to what he's doing dur during that hour when I'd rather be sleeping. 
Brian says, um, the, he echoes the White Castle. White Castle. I really need to, I need to play this game. I, I've heard great things, but and apparently I need to play it twice. Bobby recommends the three body problem. Really struggle to get into this one, Bobby, but I, I, I appreciate the recommendation. I know, I know a lot of people love this book, and there is, I believe, a Netflix series coming that I, I'm intrigued by. I'll check it out and see if it uh, intrigues me more than the books did. Julie says, the more complex the game, the more plays it can take to shine. Uh, the first time through feels like I'm discovering the game and seeing the potential, but not fully experiencing it yet. I sometimes feel like I've just started to get going when the game ends, and then I want to play again and see what I can do. And I think that's I think that's oftentimes a good thing for a game um, where it can it can really kind of whet your appetite for future plays of it. Um, yeah, so I, I ideally it just doesn't completely fall flat the first time you play it, but I think that does happen with some games. George is getting into Red Rising because he got the game I wanted to read before playing. And it, the game does not spoil anything from the books. Uh, so George, it is okay to kind of play and read at the same time. And he says, I, I'm actually reading along while listening to the graphic audio version. I have listened to it. Yeah, I've, I've, I've read the books twice. One was actually reading them. One was listening to them. I enjoyed both versions. Yeah. For all the people says, what about installments on large bundles of games? I could see that. I could see that. Yeah, I, I could see that being a viable approach. Yeah, when the expense gets really, really high, I can see people appreciating the um, installment payments. I guess we do have some bundles on our website. It's bundled more out of convenience than anything else that you could buy everything all at once, but they're it's just separate products that are just going to be packaged together at the fulfillment center. Mark mentioned expeditions, having a much more affordable version available for purchase. FOMO can be addressed without having the need to do stretch play. That's a great point, Mark, that for expeditions, we we offered, and, and I think uh, maybe Chad mentioned this earlier too, you could have the premium version of the game, and you can also have the more reasonably priced version of the game, that the standard version that people can enjoy depending on their current budget. I like that as a potential option there. Let me add that to the list. I know I'm running over time a little bit here. So I mentioned this as an alternative. Uh, have offer standard versions, bundles all in, mention that as well. Notes to my future self to decipher. Michelle says she's watching, uh, playing Wild Town West with some friends. Uh, it's a designer that I love, but I, I have not played this one yet. This is a game that came out this year from uh, designer Paul uh, Denon of uh of clank fame and dune imperium fame anthony mentioned okay this is an interesting one century spice road oddly that one did fall a little flat for me the first time i played it and i've loved it ever since i think it's because i was you know i felt like i was just converting things into other things which is actually the game but Maybe sometimes I just need to understand what the game is better before I go into it the first time. But oddly enough, I did experience that same thing, Anthony, with Century Spice Road. Okay, I'm a little bit over time here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna scroll down a little bit for any following any any final questions. Um, Chad mentioned semi co-op games are good over multiple plays. Anthony mentions games relying on more strategy versus luck. Uh, Battlestar Galactica as a semi co-op for Chad's example. George mentions Dune Imperium fell flat the first time. Um, hopefully, it would, although 
yeah, I want to I want to talk about games that fall flat the first time, but then are really good on subsequent plays. I know not every game is for everybody. Uh, there are going to be games that fall flat multiple times for people. Ray mentions root here. Uh, Chad says, uh, make sure to watch the original Last Airbender cartoon. I have watched Last Airbender. Related to that, I did hear or I have heard great things about a show called Blue-Eyed Samurai that I'm really curious about. It looks like a little bit of a longer show, so it might be a, a nighttime watch for us, a dinner watch for us. But I'm curious about if anyone's watched that. Paul uh, mentions Otherland by Tad Williams. It just got picked up to be a show. That's cool. That's awesome. I love when sh uh, books get shows or movies made out of them. And uh, someone mentioned Lacerta Games as well. Yeah, I'll add, uh, add that to the list. I think Lacerta Games often need multiple plays as well. So I'll add that to the bottom of this list. Long list here. This is going to be a tough one to whittle down. So Lacerta Games. Awesome. Thank you all for the conversation today. The, the well wishes, the recommendations, the, uh, the answers to my questions. It's been lovely spending this hour with you. And I will see you next Wednesday. Yeah, I'm not, not taking off next Wednesday. So I'll be here to hang out with you then as well. So I'll see you then. Have a great week. Have a Merry Christmas if you celebrate that. Happy holidays otherwise. And yeah, take care. Bye.